Welcome to the Sus Talk Podcast. I'm Sumer Rocky B. The NFL season is around the corner, which is kind of amazing because it's July. And somehow the NFL just continues to dominate the news cycle. There's been so much news coming from, from the NFL. And I need someone to help me break this all down. So here to help me out here, I'm joined by the host of the Straight Up Saints podcast. He also writes for The Spun. He's also an amazing friend of mine, Chris Rosvoglu. Chris, thank you so much for returning to the show. Of course, we're always, uh, you know, excited to talk football with you. Really crazy off season. I- I'm so curious to see what the landscape of the league looks like in September. So I'm, uh, I'm excited for this chat. So let me first like break down before we go into the main, the main news item, which is Baker Mayfield going to the Panthers. But I want to quickly ask you this because this has been on my mind and we haven't really spoken in a bit. So the first question I want to ask you is. Relating to the Saints, why why are the Saints so willing to roll with Jameis, who's coming off of a an ACL tear, a significant knee injury, over drafting anybody in this QB class? Like, and this goes for everybody. Like, why was everyone after Kenny Pickett? Why were the rest of the NFL like so re- reluctant to draft a quarterback until the third round? Yeah, that's a that's a great question, and it's one that I asked myself for a while. And I know, like, for the Saints fan base, they're like super committed. To James Winston from a fan perspective. And I got that. Like Jameis is a very charismatic uh, character in a good way where people are going to get drawn to him. But I always thought kind of like what you said, a, they gave him a shorter term deal. So there wasn't a crazy commitment. He is coming off a torn ACL. And then the other part of it is the play part, right? Like he didn't perform terribly before he got hurt. I thought he did a good job of managing games. The saints made that nice little switch for him. Only three interceptions in the seven games that he played. But I thought, hey, look, if you can go out there and get a potential franchise quarterback, do it. Now, what I think is it's kind of twofold. I think part of it is the Saints think they can win right now with really good defense under Dennis Allen and then managing the game with a little bit more explosiveness. And I'd imagine they'll be able to do that because they did pick up some offensive pieces through free agency in the draft. But the other part of it, which I think is probably the more important part, is they must not have thought that these quarterbacks were good enough for them to invest any type of capital that they did because they could have taken Kenny Pickett early with their first pick when they traded up. They didn't. And then they could have taken him with their second first round pick at number 19 and they didn't. So when you have two chances to take Kenny Pickett or, you know, at, you know, three chances to take Malik Willis or four chances to take a Desmond Ritter and you don't do it. I would imagine your draft evaluation isn't that high on them because if you are the saints and, and to both our points, like, Jameis Winston could be the answer, but if you don't have the definite answer at the moment, wouldn't you always try to explore those avenues? And I think for New Orleans, they probably didn't feel like that was the move to be made. So I kind of get it, but now it's all, you know, you have to be able to perform this year because a lot of the moves the Saints have made have been so win now that if it doesn't work out, then all of a sudden, let's say a team like the Eagles, right? They own the Saints first round pick next year. That might look better than what the Saints hoped it would be. Or, you know, you look at the quarterback market, there really aren't many guys out there right now. Now you're wondering, what do you do at the position? So they went all in uh, on Jameis right now. I, I kind of get it because they were 5-2 and two pre-Jameis injury. I think if Jameis doesn't get hurt and the Saints kind of dodge the injury bug that just really exploited them late season, I don't think they win the division. I still think the Bucs would have won the division, but I think the Saints would have been a wild card. Uh, they missed it by one game. So one game differential, that gets you the seventh seed. I think that would have been possible, but... Yeah, I'd imagine they weren't high on the quarterbacks. That would be my only possible answer for you. And as the draft unfolded, it seemed like outside of the Steelers, no one was high enough on these quarterbacks to take one in the first round, which uh, I guess speaks volumes about this class. 
and, and I was really excited because I love Desmond Ritter. Do you have any idea how often, how I was really excited? Because he was right there at the second round for the Seahawks. They could have taken him twice. They had two chances to take Ritter or Willis. They didn't do it. They took, I believe, Kenneth Walker, the running back, and I believe they took a pass rusher um, with one of those picks. And I was just like, my mind was blown. I mean, the rest of Seahawks Twitter was just like, their minds were just like exploded because they were thinking the quarterback was right there. And, and then as we were just like, our minds were unraveling, we could just hear like Nina Kimes, for example, like she was probably just like losing her mind too. Like we were just thinking to ourselves, like what, what is happening? Like, why are all these teams just like not taking these quarterbacks? And because like when you see like someone like quarterback a QB like Malik Willis and Desmond Ritter, like there's signs that they, those guys could at least be a second round pick. Like what what do you think happened for what what do you think teams saw in both of those QBs that made them think, nah, not worth a second round pick? You know, the Malik Willis one, I guess a lot of it is thinking how much time do we have to put in to develop him and is it worth the second round pick, that price tag? And and obviously they didn't think it was the first round pick. So then it goes the second round, maybe they didn't think it was worth it. The Desmond Ritter one, believe it or not, I know Malik Willis was the the more uh, hyped up prospect out of the two. The Ritter one confused me a little bit more because I don't think Desmond Ritter needs as much time because I think Desmond Ritter, you're talking about a four-year starter at Cincinnati, a guy who left college as one of the most winningest quarterbacks in the history of the sport. And I thought he got better each and every year. And I think the pro comps that he got, the two of them, that I think were really fair is a lot of people compared him to Marcus Mariota and Alex Smith. And I kept thinking to myself, like, if he becomes Alex Smith, and, and obviously we don't know if that's going to happen, but that's actually really good value for a day two pick, especially at quarterback. Like, I think a lot of teams would sign up for that. He's a really good leader. He does have mobility. He, he's the type of player that, look, I wouldn't be surprised if he starts for the Falcons midseason. Like, they make that change. You're like, hey, let's see what we got in him because we're probably going to be bottom of the league and, and we're going to have to take a quarterback if this guy's not in and if Mariota doesn't play well. So I, I was more surprised with Ritter. Because teams like the Saints met with him. Teams like the Colts, Steelers, they met with him. You mentioned the Seahawks. I remember people were saying, hey, Seattle should take a flyer on Desmond Ritter with one of their two second-round picks. I thought that made sense, too. It doesn't happen. And then for him to fall to where he did, I believe it was like pick 74, that's still wild to me. So that one confuses me more. The Malik Willis one, I think, is a, a little more bit upsetting in the sense that like it's crazy a coach didn't look at his skill set and be like, look, he's raw, but if I work with him, I could turn him into a star. So maybe they just didn't feel like it was worth the time. The Ritter one for me, uh, if you told me going into the draft, he was going to be a, seven, a top 70 pick, I would have said there's no way because I would have thought for sure that he would have went in the top 45. I, I, I thought he would have snuck into the end of the first round, to be honest. Maybe Detroit had they stayed at 32. So I, I was really surprised by that. I don't know the reasoning for it. I'd imagine they don't think his upside is as high. And for Malik, they don't think the time they'll have to be to put in is worth, you know, a first or second round pick. That, that would be my explanation for it. And, and speaking, cause I'm looking, I'm just currently looking at the, uh, the third round at the very least. So Ritter was first quarterback taken in that in the round. And then afterwards, a couple picks later, Malik Willis gets taken off. And then after Willis, a couple picks later, the Panthers, they take Matt Carell. And that brings me to my next question, which is, I, I what is what is the line of thinking do you think the the Panthers have when they made the deal to get Baker Mayfield when they not only have Matt Corral who they drafted but they also have Sam Darnold and I'm just imagining right now like everyone's making fun of like the Baker Mayfield Sam Darnold QB battle because that's just oh my god it, the amount of stuff that we have said about both of those QBs over the years there there's so much bulletin board material that it fills up at least like three probably three giant bulletin boards you know 
like uh, what's what are they thinking here because like this is a team that's clearly still rebuilding like what what, what could possibly be a be the Panthers line of thinking I I wish I could you know tell you and the thing about Corral is you know they traded up to get him like they they had to part ways they actually parted ways with more assets to get Matt Corral than they did to get Baker Mayfield which is crazy for me because they traded I believe their fourth round pick and next year's third to move up back to move up earlier in the third round and take Corral compared to a conditional 2024 draft pick for Baker Mayfield, which is so confusing. I mean, I thought when they made the Corral trade, I thought, okay, this was Sam Darnold, PJ Walker, those kind of guys will battle it out early in the year. And then if Matt Corral's ready at any point in the second half of the year, you play him. And if he looks good in Matt Rule's system, maybe that buys Matt Rule another year. Or if he looks good, then he might be the starter next year and, and maybe it's a different coaching staff. I don't know what it might be, but to your point, then you go and trade for Baker Mayfield. It kind of undo, undoes what you just did before with Matt Corral. And you mentioned the quarterback battle. I can't wait to see how that unfolds, by the way. I think that's going to be hilarious. But Corral, for me, such an interesting guy because that's another prospect where I think he does need time. Like, I like his mobility. I like his toughness. I think he's got a pretty decent arm in terms of release. I thought when I went through quarterbacks, because, you know, just in case the Saints were going to take one, I went through a lot of homework. I thought he had the best release. Like, I just love the way he kind of grips it and rips it from the RPO standpoint. But I, I don't know now. And 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 the weirder thing is, I don't even think Baker Mayfield's like that great of a fit for the Panthers offense right now. And it almost felt like the Baker move was a, all right, I guess we'll take him because you're paying most of his salary and we're not giving up that much. And hey, worst case, he'll sell tickets. He's a big name that we'll need for, for marketing purposes. But you mentioned, you know, their quarterback room. It's it's pretty crowded right now. You have to consider that their offensive coordinator, uh, Ben McAdoo, they pulled out quotes from 2018, I believe it was. And he said that Baker Mayfield was like a short system quarterback that he didn't know would work in the NFL. So that's kind of weird because now you have to coach that guy who you said those comments about. Uh, and I couldn't believe it when I went to look back and I was reading it on the New York Post when those comments were made. And I was like, okay, like that, that makes this whole situation interesting. So I wish I could give you a clear answer as to what the Panthers are doing, but it seems like they're just throwing stuff at the wall, specifically at the quarterback position, and they're just hoping something sticks. God, that I who would have thought the Panthers would become like such a mess? They're they're such a mess. Like that's the only explanation is that ever since that they got new ownership, things have just gotten completely chaotic with the organization. And I just feel like if you have that crowded of a QB room, someone's getting traded. Like it's either Sam Darnold gets traded or cut or Corral gets traded because I don't know what you do. Like you, you can't cut Baker because that, you know, optics wise, that looks terrible. That looks awful. And I'm, I'm just trying, I'm trying to piece together everything here because like, you brought up the Ben McAdoo point, which, oh my God, even more funny. That's so great. I, I, oh my God, my, my brain's wrapping around this and I'm just like thinking Ben McAdoo, Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold equals just material for about the entire, like, you know, training camp. Like we're just going to, I think ESPN will just have to park their like studio out in, out, outside of the Carolina Panthers training camp facility at that point. It's just too funny, way too funny. Yeah, it, it is. And I almost wish that now, like, I, I got to remember who get who gets hard knocks this year, because I think at this point, I think it's the Lions, right? Yeah, it's I wish the Lions. Switch it over and put it to the Panthers like that. That would be must see TV right now. Look, I, as much as I love Dan Campbell, he's a great guy. Amazing. And I gen, and by the way, side note, I like the Lions a lot. And I think that they could surprise a lot of people, even though it could also end horribly. But 
I feel like you got to go for the audible here. I it's like I love the Lions, but you got to go over to Carolina and see what's going on over there. There's, yeah, there's I, I agree. There's so much. There's so much going on here. It's way too chaotic. I want to answer. There's some other pressing questions I wanted to ask you too, because you know, the the off season as it's been, it's been pretty. It's been pretty intense. It's been pretty insane, and I feel like every off season progressively gets even more crazy as it keeps going. I don't know what's going on. It's 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 just insane what ha- what's ke- what continues to happen. But one pressing question I wanted to ask you was this: When you look at like the NFC North, and I was just thinking about this when I got started to do some reading, and I kind of realized, wait, the Packers right now, this is the most vulnerable they've ever been in terms of the NFC North. And I'm trying to think who could pounce them because. It, they've owned that division for almost a decade. And now they're at their most vulnerable because they just lost Devontae Adams. Can you name their lead receiver at all? I would imagine it's got to be Lazard at this point. Like that, that's, that would be my guess. Exactly. Like if you had, but the, the sheer fact is that like, you're not even sure if he's the number one receiver right now. So the offense is going to change. I mean, they did invest a lot in their defense. That, that is at least one good sign from them. That could you make a case to say that like they'll they'll stay on top of the NFC North, but like when you look at the other three teams, do you think they have a better chance now than they did last year to just pounce on the Packers? I think so. I don't think this is really like a crazy hot take, but I think the only team in the NFC North that like I don't feel good at, about at all right now are the bears because I don't know what their coaching staff is going to be like. That's my first question. I always like my own general rule of thumb. And obviously it's not the correct way for everything. It's just like the way the league's moving. I always like when coaches are offensive minds with young quarterbacks. Like I always love that. And I, I don't mind that the bears went after, you know, Matt Eberfus cause he might end up being a really good head coach. So like, I, I'm going to wait and see what happens, but that move confused me. And I didn't really think they helped their roster much. Like Justin Fields is weapons around him. Not really better. They lost Allen Robinson. They really didn't add anyone else to it to, to really fix that that receiving core. But the Lions have gotten better. I mean, the Lions, just this draft alone, Aiden Hutchinson on the defensive side of the ball, Jameson Williams on the off, offensive side of the ball. You sign DJ Chark. That might be a very sneaky one year, gets his value back on track, and then dips for another team in free agency. I like that move because they needed receiver help. But the team that I think can pounce on the Packers, I think it's the Vikings, depending on how their coaching staff is. Because... You get rid of Mike Zimmer, you bring in Kevin O'Connell, and I, I look, I, I'm not saying it always works to bring in Sean McVay's guys, but if he ends up being, you know, even half as good or a quarter of good as, as Sean McVay, that's adding offensive firepower to a Vikings team that I thought desperately needed because Minnesota for the last couple of seasons, it was the weirdest mix of you have Kirk Cousins surrounded by Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, Dalvin Cook, and Irv Smith Jr., with a defensive head coach and not a creative playbook. And I was like, this just made no sense to me. And now I read all the offseason stuff and guys like Justin Jefferson keep hyping up their new scheme and how pass first it is and how diverse it is and, and, and how it really keeps them on their toes. If that's true, and this isn't them just sugarcoating the new head coach's scheme, Minnesota always plays Green Bay pretty well. Like I feel like Minnesota usually of late with Kirk Cousins not saying Kirk Cousins is the main reason, but under his, you know, I, I guess his leadership for now, they've kind of really split that season series. So I take that into consideration. I think Minnesota's got a fairly weak schedule because they're not playing a first place schedule. That's going to help them out a little bit. I think they're a team that that can 
really take advantage. And they have the luxury, just like the Packers do, where the two teams below them, the Lions and the Bears, they're, they're not ready for that moment yet. I, I'm not saying the Vikings are 100% ready for it, but I, I feel like they have a shot. So I think they could pounce on them. I do agree with you. I love what the Packers did defensively. Like, I think that might surprise people is how young, and I would say in terms of raw talent, the Packers defensively, they're up there in the league. Like, they keep getting better on that side of the ball. So that could be good. I think if they go run heavy with A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones, that would really help, I guess, cover up the issues at wide receiver. But you're going to get into the playoffs if you're the Packers at some point, and you're going to need to make some big plays, and your receivers are going to need to make big plays. And, like, I almost feel like in an offseason with so many moves, the Devontae Adams trade doesn't get talked about enough because I get it. Like, quarterback and receiver, they go hand-in-hand, hand, but Devontae Adams was so good, and you take him out of there, like – that, that is not an easy person to replace, you know? And, and even if you're going to replace him, that means that you need Christian Watson as a rookie to be good off the jump. That's so tough. So to answer the question, you know, in a shorter version, I think the Vikings are the team that can pounce, uh, but it really depends on the coaching staff, how they, how they look. My answer would have been the Lions just because I really like how hard the, that team played under Dan Campbell last year. I really, that team was a lot of fun, even though they lost like the first 10 games of their season. But they were so competitive and they were so invested in playing hard for Dan Campbell. Now, this could change because, like, if they keep getting get off to a slow start, maybe they start buying less into what Dan Campbell is, is trying to uh, pitch to them, basically. That's the only concern that I have with them is that they need to get off to a strong start. They need to basically prove that last year that all that hard work and all the effort that they put in put in and put in for Dan Campbell did was not for not and that they were actually it's going to lead to something and honestly like Jared Goff's not like I know we clown on Jared Goff a lot but like he's a he can be a decent quarterback if you give him weapons like that and they have weapons Hawkinson Swift Amon Ross St. Brown now you add Chark and potentially Jamison Williams who could be slowly like added into the offense like that's a really good offense with a lot of weapons and not to mention their O-line's gotten better because they got Pede Sewell played really well last year as well. Like the Lions could could be kind of sneaky like later on in the season. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. I'm glad you mentioned golf, by the way. Like I just mentioned the Vikings and like Kirk Cousins, what they've done. I don't think, look, I think Kirk Cousins is better than Jared Goff, but I don't think the gap's like huge, right? Like they're almost pretty similar quarterbacks. And honestly, I would say Jared Goff's best year when he was with McVay, that, that, that might be better than what Kirk Cousins has done. So like, I don't... I, I think it's possible. I think for Detroit, my question is like, how much have they closed the gap from last year in the sense that I agree with you, even though they lost so many games, they were always in them. Like they were very competitive every single week. Have they done enough for like, instead of losing those three point games, you know, that horrible late field goal to Justin Tucker, are they a player two better where that doesn't happen? If so, I agree with you. Like, I think they could shock a lot of people. And if they play with the same fire they played with last year, just off having a more talented roster, they should be way more wins ahead. Um, so I don't mind. I actually think the Lions are going to be a pretty sneaky competitive team. Um, I just feel like it's safe to say between the two of us that we have no confidence in the Bears right now, but I guess that happens. We can't be confident in all, uh, all four teams in the North. Nope. And I want to cover like one more question and then we will wrap, wrap things up a bit. Because for, here's something that, I, that it's been racking my brain too because – it's been all over the news throughout the, throughout the offseason, and it's this. Do you feel that the Cardinals and the 49ers, that they played their hands too bad? Like, do you feel that the Cardinals and the 49ers, did 
did they get way too cute with their QB situations? Because right now you have the 49ers. You have no idea what they're doing with Jimmy G. All we know is that Trey Lance is presumably the starter heading into the season. And then the Cardinals, I'm like, what's going on with them and Kyler? Because I have no clue. And honestly, I, I have no confidence that they can press on any further than the wild card right now. Yeah, I, I mean, I think for me, the Cardinals didn't get too cute because the, the reason I say that is like they could end any quarterback kind of controversy or like future questions about Kyler by like, you know, you sign him tomorrow. We stop talking about like how long is he going to be there? I do agree though. Like their, their ceiling is super limited right now. Like they are a first round playoff team. And that's like, if they make the playoffs and no Hopkins for first six games, that's important. You lost Christian Kirk. I know you bring in Marquise Brown. So like that kind of erases the Christian, the Christian Kirk loss. And then some, cause I'd imagine most people think that Marquise Brown's a better player, but defensively you lost Chandler Jones. I don't think that's the easiest replacement for sure. You didn't really get better on that side of the ball. And like the craziest stat I've ever seen, uh, I'm sure you've, you've kind of seen it too. Teams led by Cliff Kingsbury college and pros, how well they start off at the beginning of the year and how bad they play in the second half of the season. Like the Cardinals are just really good at starting hot and then they finish terribly. And I think like, in a better NFC, if the NFC is better as a whole, you might, you know, you you finish so bad, you you might end up losing that playoff spot because there's other competition. As for the Niners, though, um, I do agree. I think I think they got too cute. The reason I say that is like, you knew you were going to trade Garoppolo like as soon as the playoffs ended. I mean, his his press conference after they lost to the Rams was basically like a farewell press conference. Like it couldn't be any more clear. This guy has to get traded. He wants to get traded. They'll move him, and then. Every quarterback, not named Jimmy Garoppolo, pretty much got traded. Baker Mayfield's been traded. Russell Wilson's been traded. Deshaun Watson's been traded. Carson Wentz has been traded. And I thought when Wentz got traded, I thought right then and there, the the Niners, it, it was very clear they overplayed their hand. Because I thought when the Colts have to move Wentz and Washington's going after quarterback, I thought whether it's Indianapolis or Washington, one of those two teams has to get Garoppolo. I thought that those two teams made the most sense for him. And they were linked to him. And the fact that neither team got him, and then it comes out that maybe the Niners wanted two third-round picks. Like, I don't know what what team's giving up two third-round picks for him. And now if you do trade him, by the way, you're you're not getting anything because Baker Mayfield just got traded for a conditional fourth-round pick or fifth-round pick, whatever it might be. And I think most teams would rather have Baker than Jimmy Garoppolo because I'd say he's younger and he's more unproven, which is a good thing because we kind of know what Garoppolo's ceiling is. And if Baker Mayfield is the quarterback we saw in 2020, then that's not a bad quarterback at all. So I do think they overplay their hand. Uh, they have no, you have to start Trey Lance. Like, I don't think that's a question, but like, is he on your roster in September? And if he is on your roster in September, is that an awkward situation? I don't know, but like, that's their fault that they're in this. Like training camp is two weeks away. Like the fact that he's still on the roster like blows my mind. Like, and is he even going to be allowed to show up to training camp for the first couple of weeks? Or are they going to have to figure this out? Like, I, I don't know, but I don't know what team can really, what team in the NFL right now needs him. The only team I'd say maybe needs him is if Watson gets suspended for the whole season and the Browns are watching training camp unfold. They're like, okay, Jacoby Brissett can't be our starter, but like that, those are two ifs that have to happen. So I, I don't know. I, I think they terribly overplayed it. Let me, I will, let me go in and just say that the Seahawks right now are just waiting. They're waiting for the news to find out that Jimmy Garoppolo has been cut by the 49ers. That, that's the news that they're basically waiting on. Although, personally, I will say that Gardner Minshew is, I would rather take Gardner Minshew as the quarterback than, than Jimmy G right now. And, and I don't know. That feels like a weird thing to say. But 
I just, I just feel like I already know what I've seen with Jimmy G. I already know that he has an injury history. And then compared to Gardner Minshew, there's so much, un, there's still some stuff, that you, some untapped stuff that you can do with him. And it's definitely like the, what you said, the unproven factor of like, hey, let's see what we have with this guy. And to the Cardinals point, for the past two seasons, it's, you mentioned the record with like Cliff Kingsbury teams, like falling apart the second half of the season. The last two seasons, it's completely correlated with the fact that Kyler Murray gets hurt. The moment he gets hurt, the season falls apart for them altogether. So when he got hurt last year in the Packers game, the season just fell apart completely. Like they were not the same team. Kyler was not the same quarterback. And I think those two factors correlate with each other. Like if Kyler stays healthy, I think they have a better chance at finishing out the season stronger, but that's the question. Like can Kyler stay healthy enough to finish out the full season, like being his usual self and the second factor is, what is it with Cliff Kingsbury's teams that, like, he? I, I guess the only thing I could tell Cliff right now is that you just got to be a better adjust, better adjusting to stuff because, I don't know, teams just keep catching on to what you're trying to do here, and and then you know, everybody figures you out, and then you you're basically a sitting duck in the playoffs. Yeah, absolutely, and it's just so weird for me. The the sea, you know, you mentioned the Seahawks. I agree with you. It's like he's. A, he's limited, like, skill set-wise, and B, he always gets hurt. Like, it's such a bad combination. Like, Kirk Cousins might be limited skill set-wise in some degree, but if people search up Kirk Cousins as, like, games played, he never misses starts. He never misses starts. And and that's why a guy like him will always have a place in this league, even if he starts to decline production-wise, because, you know, availability is important. So, uh, I think that's a big thing. The Cardinals one, I will say, I like – People have kind of had their like predictions. Like, can you pick a playoff team that doesn't make the playoffs next season uh, that made it last year? Cause there's always changes. I feel like as of today, and it's still only July, I, I feel pretty good. Like if I had to make a pick, that would be the team I would say would miss the playoffs. I just, I don't like their roster construction right now. And I agree with you. They are so Kyler dependent. It, all he needs to do is just tweak a hamstring. And that, like, that's it. Like you said, like the wheels fall off the track and it's, it's over for them. Um, and then even when they make the playoffs, who, who was picking them against the Rams? Like that was the most boring playoff game I've seen in a long time. It was over from the jump. So I don't know. And to their point, you pay him, all right, you're probably paying him 45 million. Are you going to be able to build the roster around him to make sure that he doesn't get hurt? I have no clue. Like they they have more questions than, than answers, which is not great, but it, it is what it is. They put themselves in that, in that spot. It's between Kyler and also Lamar Jackson, who right now is also, they're both seeking out that big money, but it's, it's almost like a very similar problem with both, both teams where, you know, they are so dependent on, on them staying healthy and basically running the system that they have no backups just in case, you know, everything falls apart. Like if they do get hurt or like, I, and the only difference of course, is that at, at the very least in Baltimore, like John Harbaugh is a very good, is a very good coach. And, granted he's been weirdly aggressive over the past few seasons last year in particular I you know he had his he was very obsessed with the two-point conversion I don't I never understood it but like hey you know at least fair least he's a great coach we can still trust in the fact that like through his sheer sheer willpower that he'll get them at least six wins through just sheer sheer coaching brilliance right with the Cardinals like I don't know that like what is it with Cliff Kingsbury like I don't even know if he's on the hot seat like I don't think he's on the hot seat but if this keeps becoming like a pattern, eventually like the Cardinals like 
fun like the brass has to think themselves like we might need to make a change yeah and and to that point of like bad decision making they gave him a contract extension this offseason like it didn't get talked about enough because their biggest problem is kyler murray's contract right now but you extended him and i agree like if they play poorly this year and they miss the playoffs let's say you, you know that the 2023 season, like that's one of those kind of make or break deals for them. Like they need to be better or else all of a sudden you, you got to move on from them because then when you have a good quarterback, like I think the, the, the biggest negative to having a really good quarterback is you, the expectation is so high that when you're not getting it done, everyone's on the hot seat. So like if they go into like year six of Kyler and they don't have a playoff win to show for it, I mean, someone's got to get the ax and I don't know if it would be Kingsbury or the GM, but someone would have to get it. Uh, and, and that would be really interesting. I'm glad you mentioned Lamar, by the way. If I had to pick between the two, hypothetically, I think it's easier to commit to Lamar because I just I've just seen Lamar do it. I feel a little bit more in terms of a lot of different movement. I don't even know if I really love his offensive coaching staff around him. I love John Harbaugh, obviously. Doesn't really have talented receivers, but you can make an argument that the Ravens' offense isn't built for having good receivers, which I think that's kind of what it is, in my opinion. But I, I think I'd feel more comfortable giving him more money than Kyler. Not to say Kyler doesn't deserve more money. He definitely does. Um, but I feel like his situation is interesting too. And I also can't believe, by the way, that he doesn't have a contract yet because at least Kyler has one more year after this year, like in terms of the fifth-year option stuff. Like this, this is it for Lamar. If He becomes a free agent technically if this season ends with no contract. You know, I just thought about that. So let's say they the, the Ravens play this horribly and they don't – end up making a deal which you know at the end of the day they're going to figure something out but before the season starts like it, it'd be basically like football football malpractice for them to not figure out a, a contract extension between the two parties so let's in this hypothetical world let's say lamar jackson exits the season without a contract and he becomes an unrestricted free agent how crazy do we in the football media go how crazy does it go do we like start dubbing it like lamar watch do we what, what do we do here? What, what's, what does the forecast look like if, if a quarterback of Lamar Jackson's caliber hits the market? Yeah, I mean, look, like the Ravens could like, you know, stomp it all out by like tagging him and then they're like, oh, we'll figure it out. But like, let's say they tagged him. He's like, I'm still not playing for you. And I think that's also possible because like Devontae Adams got tagged and then he got traded after. Like the NFL's changed. To your point, you mentioned when we first started this conversation, the NFL off seasons every year keep getting crazier. Nothing would like signify that then we go into next season with a quarterback who's in his prime hitting the open market or at least telling the Ravens, you know, I'm not playing for you. Like that, that would be absurd. I do agree. We would have some type of Lamar watch and any team, I'd say there may be eight to nine teams that would be out of that watch because they have a, you know, a, you know, a commodity, a quarterback that's good enough or better than Lamar. But other than that, like every other team would have to be interested. And I'd imagine that would be where the quarterback market gets taken to another level. Cause if you are a team that wants Lamar and you know, the offers are 40, 45 million, let's say per year, it takes one team to offer him over 50 and this thing gets going. And all of a sudden, like it just starts snowballing into crazy uh, bidding war. So I, I don't think it'll happen. Like, I agree with you. Like they have, they have to get something done. Like I, to your point, it'd be, it'd be ridiculous if they didn't, but man, if they did, it would be crazy. We haven't seen anything like that. Cause Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Peyton Manning, the biggest free agency signings at the quarterback position. Brees and Manning coming off of injuries. And Brady at 43 years old. And let's be real, even though we're not supposed to doubt the guy, like, no, him winning a Super Bowl at 43 was still wild. Like, no one really thought that was definitely going to be the outcome there. So to have a guy who's only 25 right now hit free agency, 
Whew. That, that would be nuts. That would, that would be absolutely nuts. And I would be so shocked if they managed to get that done. I, th- I feel like, you know, what was the last time we had like a free agent buzz that was like crazy, like 20, 2010? Like, I, and I'm not talking about just strictly football. I mean, like all sports in general. I feel like 2010's NBA free agency was like the most like crazy in terms of buzz. But if Lamar hits the market, I think it actually, it could rival it. I'm not even kidding because football's king. Exactly. Football is king. And I, I will say like one more thing about Lamar is that I feel like, I think if he does, if they do manage to work something out, which we both assume is going to happen, I think he'll be, they'll have a much better season. Cause I think last year for Baltimore was a year from hell, complete year from hell. Look at all the injuries that they suffered. It got to the point where they ran out of cornerbacks for one of their games. And even before the season started, they lost almost all the running backs. So the injury luck, I think will be in their favor again, or at least be reset to neutral. And I, it's like, I feel like fresh slate, I think this is Lamar's chance to really just, if you want to earn at least a $50 million a year contract, you have to ball out. This is the year to ball out. So let's see how it goes because in some way, shape or form, I kind of feel like Lamar like wants to hold off and actually make, try to earn a much bigger paycheck, but it's also possible. He could be thinking, you know, uh, you know, I, I actually just want to have a secure line of a secure contract. So I'll just get this extension for at least like 40 or $45 million a year. Yeah, I, and I agree. And I'm, I'm glad. By the way, you mentioned that. Just you know, I'll, I'll end it, like end the Lamar conversation real quick. But like the the Ravens, I remember when Joe Flacco was in the final year of his deal. Everyone was like, "Oh, is that contract gonna get done?" And it didn't get done before the season. And then the Ravens ripped off a crazy playoff run, won a Super Bowl, and Joe Flacco got paid way more than he should have. And obviously, that you know determined their future. But if you're Lamar, it's it's almost like okay, I could get my money right now. But if Lamar did have a good year, and I agree with you, I think the Ravens are gonna be much better. Their whole secondary was injured, and not only are they coming back, they're adding Kyle Hamilton, Hamilton and Marcus Williams to that secondary. So that should be a really good unit. They, they, they have J.K. Dobbins back. That's huge. If they rattle off a crazy playoff run and, you know, Lamar finishes next season as a Super Bowl champion, he can go to their office and just fill out whatever he wants on that check. And if you're the Ravens, you have to, you have to pay him it. So it's like, it's crazy because, like, the risk of him playing and him getting hurt, like, that's scary, but the the upside slash prize on the other end of it, if he plays his cards right, it's like you can become the highest paid quarterback in NFL history if you play your cards right. So I, it, it's so nuts. That's why, like, I'm really into this conversation because, you know, like we said, like, you think a contract get done, but training camp's two weeks away. It's not done yet. So I don't know, but I, I do love that idea. Like, if the Ravens get back to form and they win a Super Bowl, what is Lamar Jackson's price? Like, I, I don't know if you could put a price on it. Also keep in mind that he's his own agent. Like he doesn't have yeah. an, an agent rec- negotiating a contract for them, which is probably to me why it's stalled for this long is because, you know, when you're your own agent, I feel like it takes, you know, all the details of working at. So it takes a lot longer because you don't have someone that's there with you. That's negotiated a contract like this, that that's been at these tables multiple times. Like, when you're your own agent, it's it, the game's completely different, you know? Yeah. I, that, that's a true point. And, and I think for him, it's like, there's no way he doesn't go each week thinking about what he should be doing. Like do I negotiate, do I not negotiate. And, and remember the GM for the Ravens said like they would work at Lamar's urgency. So to your point, you said he's his own agent. If he had an agent, his agent would probably be nagging him to get this over with already. 
Like Lamar, attention, Lamar, please get this done already. Come on, can we, can we get you some a secure financial future, please? Can we do this? And then Lamar's just thinking probably, I just want to bet on myself and try to go for 50 million, which, you know, if you feel like you have the talent and he clearly does go for it, but like, again, it's so complicated, but that's what makes this all fun is that he's his own agent and the negotiation table. I, I really want to be a fly in the room in, in the Ravens front offices right now, just looking at how those negotiations go when it's a player that's by himself and he doesn't have any representation with him. I'm curious to see how that goes. Oh, me too. I, if I, if I could be in those rooms, especially like July 27th training camp starts, you know, the Ravens got to be like, dude, come on. Like, let's, let's go, let's go inside. Let's discuss this before you even take a snap. Cause it's like the very rare, super high risk, super high reward. And we don't really get those often. And, and honestly, think about it. Kirk cousins, when he was a free agent and the Vikings signed him, the teams were bidding for Kirk cousins. Lamar Jackson's much better than Kirk Cousins. So I, I, I really would love to see what happens if that goes down. I, I would love to see. I, I would love to be the flies on the wall of that of that negotiation t- table. I really would. All right, Chris, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. This was a, a lot of fun. I got to tell you, I was, especially the everything that's going on, it's probably going to get cr- progressively crazier. And especially on your podcast, because like this Saints training camp, uh, upcoming season there's a lot of intrigue a lot of moving pieces like i will what's so what i want to ask is um i just want to ask you how how can people reach out to you on social media what you've been up to so you can let the people know what is going on in training camp in saints training camp and what different storylines should people be looking staying tuned in on yeah, absolutely. So people can follow me on Twitter at Rose Vogel Report. They can check out uh, my written work at The Spun. Um, and then for podcasts, they can check out Straight Up Saints at Boo Crew Media, whether it's on Spotify, Apple. Uh, we do videos for YouTube. Uh, if people rather watch a video format, they can go there to Boo Crew Media's YouTube page and watch the Straight Up Saints episodes there. But in terms of like storylines for training camp, I think one of the no-brainer ones is like, how does Jameis Winston look? Because it is his second year as a starter for the Saints, but third year with the team. Does he look better? Does the knee look better? He did get ACL surgery in November, so that's a storyline to watch there. I think a big one is someone who you and me have had chats about for a long time, whether it was at his highest moments or his lowest moments, what's going on with Michael Thomas, right? Because this, he hasn't played since 2020. Like That, that to me is wild. Uh, he's a guy that went healthy. I, I think there, there's no doubt he's a top five wide receiver, but it's been two years. And he's coming off an injury that is a very serious one. Like it's not a normal ankle injury. Usually, apparently you hurt either the outside of your ankle. He hurt the inside and, and, and those don't recover well. And uh, I'm curious to see how he looks. He still hasn't practiced, whether it's OTAs, minicamp, he missed all that. Uh, he was training on the sideline by himself. So how does he look if he's ready to go? If not, how do Chris Olave, how, how do Chris Olave and Jarvis Landry look? Those are the big additions there because this is a Saints team that they need receiver help. Like they, they need it badly are they good enough to kind of fix that unit? And I think the the third thing for me is how does the cornerback room look? Like Marshawn Lattimore, no-brainer, cornerback one. But the Saints have Paulson and Debo, Bradley Roby, and Elante Taylor all kind of vying for that cornerback two spot. And I think they're all worthy, uh, you know, competitors for that spot. And I'm really eager to see who ends up winning that battle. And as a whole, the defense in general, we know how good they've been under Dennis Allen. Does it change at all now that he's the head coach? Like, does that, does that make it better? Does that make it worse? I, that's something that I want to see as well. And 
we won't really get the answer for that one until the fall, but at least watching him command the huddle and command their attention during training camp, that's something we could get an early indication on. So I'm really interested to see how that happens as well. But the main ones for sure, Jameis Winston's knee, Michael Thomas's ankle, because those are important factors. Because if, if you don't have those guys ready to go at 100%, especially the quarterback position, if Michael Thomas isn't healthy, that changes things. But man, if Michael Thomas is healthy and your receivers are Michael Thomas, Jarvis Landry, Chris Olave, that's a lot better than last year's trio of Marquez Callaway, uh, Deontay Hardy, and uh, Traquan Smith. Much better. So th- those are things that I'll definitely be tuning into uh, in training camp. Do they have like a specialized slot corner? And when, because you named like the, any of those three, who is who would be the specialized slot corner right now? Or is that already like determined? Is it somebody else that's like taking that spot? Yeah, I mean, they haven't really determined who's taking that spot. I'd imagine that Jarvis Landry will get a lot of touches in the slot because that's something he's been able to do uh, throughout his career. But Michael Thomas is another player who he's at his best when he's on the inside, in my opinion. So I think if he's healthy, I think that's another guy you kick to the slot too. And and maybe that's a little bit easier on his ankle in terms of making all those outside tough catches. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised there. The sneaky guy for the slot, which there's no guarantee um, that he will even have enough, I'd say, touches relative to last year would be Deontay Hardy because he's that smaller, shifty guy that the Saints love to get his speed matched up against a safety or a linebacker. So I think he's the intriguing option out of the three. But if I had to guess, a lot of the work's going to be handled by Jarvis and Michael Thomas with Chris Olave being the outside boundary receiver. But it, it could change. It, it could definitely change. What about for the defensive side, for the slots, for the slot side? Yeah, the slot for the for the defensive side, I feel pretty good about it. CJ Gardner Johnson, oh. you know, he is one really exciting cornerback to watch. Uh, whether it's the trash talking, whether it's the actual play on the field, uh, a joy watching him all the time. I think he's a no-brainer for the slot. But I think if let's say he were to miss time, I think PJ Williams is kind of the easy fill-in to replace that slot. He's been doing it for a while. He's getting better at safety as well. Uh, he's one of those late bloomers. Like early in his career, didn't really know where you're going to put him. They have him at outside cornerback. Didn't work. Now he's really found his role in the slot closer to the line of scrimmage. That's kind of where he's been thriving. So I feel like the Saints on the offense side of the ball, I got questions about the slot. That's not the case for defense. I actually feel really, really comfortable um, about how they would handle the, the slot position. It's a lot of depth on their secondary. All right, Chris, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. That's going to do it, everybody. Seriously, check this guy out on Twitter and on his podcast, Straight Up Saints. It's if you really want to know the deep, like everything you need to know about the Saints throughout the season, throughout the year, you need to check out his podcast. I guarantee you will get so much out of it. Don't forget to follow this podcast on Spotify as well as Apple Podcasts as well. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I'll see you guys next time.